You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and we are wrapping up 2019 with the top 10 things that I learned in the garden this year. So I like to wrap up every gardening season every year with lessons because it helps me, one, keep from repeating the same mistakes next year, and two, helps hopefully keep you from making these mistakes in the first place. And they're not all mistakes either. Some of these things are going to be great things, lessons that I learned and and wins that I had, and hopefully telling you about those will help you achieve some wins in the garden as well. So that is what we are going to be covering today in this last episode of 2019. I'll be coming at you in 2020 with a whole bunch of new things. But before we hear about lessons from this year's gardening season, a word from our sponsor. I'm going to start today's episode off with what for me was an absolute hands-down victory, and that is my fight against Japanese beetles. I have solved it, I have figured it out, and I'm going to share that with you. If you're not familiar with Japanese beetles, they are an invasive species. They are these little kind of copper and green hard-shelled beetles. The theory is that they came over from Asia, from Japan, probably in potted plants like orchids and things like that that were exotic and they were being imported for that reason on the East Coast. And since then, they've kind of just made their way across the U.S. and they're incredibly destructive. If you have experienced them in your garden, you know what I'm talking about. They typically feed on things like apple trees, roses, green beans, black beans, any kind of bean plant, honestly. And that is what I was having the most trouble with in terms of Japanese beetles. They just destroyed my green beans for the last two years. And then whenever they kind of got around to it, they would kind of take over my apple tree as well. This year, though, I figured it out. You need the one-two punch of setting a Japanese beetle trap, which I explain all about how to use a Japanese beetle trap in a blog post on my blog, beinbasil.com. So if you need some information about that, please feel free to visit the website, search for Japanese beetle, and that post should pop right up. But also make sure that you are covering plants that are susceptible to Japanese beetles with a fine mesh netting from day one. I mean, like from the day you sow those bean seeds in the ground, just cover it up with netting. Don't even give the Japanese beetles a chance. With those two things, I was able to maintain just an incredible crop of green beans this year. I will say though, little tip when dealing with Japanese beetle traps, they come with this disc of wax that smells very strongly of roses because as I said, Japanese beetles are 
attracted to roses. They eat rose plants. Be very careful with that bait. Do not touch that bait with your bare hands and then wipe your hands on your clothes because the Japanese beetles will follow you, will start landing on you, will start flying all around you. And even though they don't bite and they're not poisonous or anything, that's still never a fun, never a fun experience. I'm just going to put that out there. Next up, I would say was also a win, and that was investing in seed garlic. This was the first year that I had planted garlic that wasn't just bulbs from the grocery store, right? Cloves from bulbs that I bought at the grocery store. I actually bought seed garlic, and I spent, I want to say, between hard neck garlic and soft neck garlic, which um, the difference between those being you can braid soft neck garlic, and it stores longer. You can't braid hard neck garlic, um, and it doesn't store quite as long. Between those two, I spent about $40, and to me, holy cow, that was a lot of money because prior to that, I was spending, I don't know, like $5 at the grocery store on on garlic bulbs. But I got to tell you, the garlic bulbs that I got this year are some of the biggest garlic bulbs I have ever seen in my life. And they were like, we're talking bulbs as big as my fist. And I mean, I have small hands, don't get me wrong, but even my husband agreed that it was like some of the biggest garlic he had seen. And the best part is I spent all that money on seed garlic, but once I get garlic grown, I'm able to save the biggest cloves from the biggest garlic bulbs to plant next year. So As far as I'm concerned, I never have to buy seed garlic again. As long as I can grow enough to save for seed garlic the following year, that's a one-time investment that you have to make, and it is definitely worth it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and talk about one of my big fails this year, and that was fall crops. I failed hard with fall crops this year. This was my first time, honestly, that I was really trying to use succession planting to have a major fall harvest. So I had planted things like broccoli and spinach, cauliflower, cabbage in the spring, and that went just fine. You can grow those same things also in the fall because they like cool weather. So you're able to kind of get them both at the beginning of the growing season and at the end of the growing season. The reason why those things failed when I tried to plant them again is I was planting them in July and there are a lot more bugs in July than there are when you're trying to grow those plants in March. And it didn't even occur to me to cover up those seedlings when I planted them outside. So when I planted them outside, I mean, they were gone in a matter of days. The bugs just ate them up. They didn't even have a chance. Once I sort of discovered that the bugs were after them, you know, I I tried covering them up. Um, I tried spraying them with organic things, solutions that I mix up myself to try and keep the bugs away. But honestly, it just, it didn't help. So I'm definitely going to have to up my game next year when it comes to fall succession planting and have a plan in place for protecting against the bugs. Next up is a Not really a win, not really a loss, just like a nice little lesson to have. Kind of gross. I I don't typically wash the produce that comes in from the garden because I garden organically. So I don't have to worry about chemical fertilizers. I don't have to worry about harmful pesticides. And I also use mulch, which keeps the soil bacteria from splashing up onto fruits and vegetables when it rains. So there's really nothing that, that I have 
to wash off. But there are bugs. There are bugs and creepy crawlers that end up on your vegetables. And, you know, usually when you have like a tomato or something like that, you can you can kind of eyeball that before you pop it in your mouth and you see it and it's fine. You know that there's nothing on it. But some pests, like slugs, they're, they're not as quick to, to, to hop off. They don't hop, actually. Slugs do not hop. And um, the second that you start to, you know, walk those those fruits and vegetables inside, um, they stay right where they are. And, and they're kind of hard to see, too. They sort of blend in um, on things like leafy greens. So, uh, so my advice uh, would be to always rinse your leafy greens. I, thankfully, didn't actually end up eating a slug. Um, but, you know, we're, we're just going to say it was a close call. It was a close call. Uh, and I, and I don't want to ever have to come that close to eating a slug ever again. Um, rinse your leafy greens, people. Next up is the fact that tea tree oil is useful for a lot of things in the garden. And I have a blog post about that. But when it comes to things like essential oils in the garden, more doesn't always mean better. I will say I was desperate. The squash bugs were out of control. And I thought if I added just a few teaspoons more tea tree oil than recommended in the dilution ratio, it would help kill the squash bugs. Because tea tree oil has an effect on on some insects where it soaks through their exoskeletons and and kind of smothers them from the inside out, which sounds really gross, and and it is kind of gross. And I had a theory that maybe it would work on the squash bugs. Well, not only did it have zero impact on the squash bugs, but because I made the concentration of tea tree oil in that diluted mixture stronger than it should have been, it burned the healthy squash leaves that I applied it to. So that should be a lesson to all of us, one that I'm going to remember from here on out, is essential oils can burn plant tissue in higher than called for concentrations. And it can also burn plant tissue when it's really hot outside. It's almost like the sun kind of magnifies the effect or the strength of that essential oil. So it's a good idea to use the proper dosage and then test it on one leaf um, before you go hosing down your whole plant with any essential oil mixture, honestly, just to just to make sure you know how your plant is going to react, almost kind of like how you would test like a a hair dye or a new cosmetic on on a patch of your skin before you go, you know, wiping it all over your face for the first time if you're not sure about it. This next one, this was really funny because I this was a rookie mistake, and I I like making those mistakes. And I like telling you about those mistakes because I want to make it very clear that no matter how many years you're at this, as a gardener, you're always going to be learning. So don't feel, I mean, you're going to feel overwhelmed, but don't feel like you're the only one out there who doesn't know what they're doing. Every gardener, to some extent, doesn't know exactly what they're doing. It's kind of like life, right? We all kind of like walk around pretending like we know what we're doing um, when we're all just kind of trying to do our best. So this little mix-up that I had was I had some really grand plans. I'm just I'm just going to tell you that right now. I love the idea of DIYing all the things. Like I want to make all the things from scratch. I want to carve my own spoons. I, um, I want to try making my own flour sometime. And this is really similar. So I decided I was going to grow mustard greens for salads. And then I was going to let those mustard greens go to seed and harvest the seed and try to make my own mustard. 
that was my plan. Also, I grew fennel purely for the purpose of harvesting fennel seeds for pickling. The funny thing is, is I happened to order a variety of mustard that doesn't really produce much seed, so that didn't go well. I mean, I got the, I got the salad greens out of it, so it wasn't a total loss. Yeah, and then I ordered the bulbing fennel, not the seed fennel. So if you didn't know, there are two kind of different classifications of fennel. One is the plant that kind of creates that big bulb that kind of grows up out of the ground and you kind of chop it up and you add it into salads and you can saute it in dishes and stuff like that. It has a really strong licorice flavor, which my husband and I both hate. So uh, that's the one that I, that I ended up growing and it was a complete waste of space. When what I really wanted was um, seed fennel, what is often called bronze fennel, but I didn't know that at the time. So I know that now, um, and if I decide to try and grow fennel seed for pickling things in the future, now I know the difference, and now you know the difference too. The next thing I learned this year was that new onion seedlings don't like being crowded. I, I got a little careless with sowing onion seeds this year. I sowed a lot of things. Um, Each year, my garden gets a little bigger and a little bigger. And things that I've kind of always been successful with, I kind of get a little lazy about. And that was the onions this year. I, instead of sowing them in seed starting trays because I was running short, I sowed them in a few clean kind of recycled rotisserie chicken containers that I had scrubbed out and washed really well. And I, I sowed the seeds pretty close together. And those, those rotisserie chicken containers are a decent amount more shallow than the seed starting trays than that I use for everything else and the onions did not like it they didn't like it one bit all of my onion seedlings were thin and weak and most of them even though typically they're very hardy onions are they did not survive transplanting Um, only the largest ones made it to maturity and that was maybe eight of the like 80 80 yeah onions, like seeds that I sowed. So next year, I'm going back to seed starting cells. I'm going to make sure that I have extra and only sow a few onion seeds per cell so that I make sure that they're not incredibly crowded. Something that I learned this year that I was surprised by was that fancy grow lights don't do much more than fluorescent lights when it comes to growing successful seedlings from seed. For Christmas last year, I was given a set of grow lights that I that I really wanted, actually. I thought that they were going to up my seed starting game. I thought that my seedlings were going to go crazy. They're the ones that kind of turn the light as like bright neon pink or fuchsia. It's like this purple pink color. But honestly, the seedlings seem to not prefer it any more than the fluorescent lights. And it was kind of a pain, actually, because I couldn't lower and raise the the fancy growing lights like I can raise and lower my super cheap little shop light that has like the chains that it's connected to with S hooks. So I'm going back to the basics for lighting this next starting season. As always, if you use a shop light, you want to use try to use one that has two bulbs and you want to use a cool bulb and a warm bulb so that your plants get the full spectrum of light. Next, yes, celery. This was the first year I grew celery, and it was a success. I'm going to toot my own horn there. It went surprisingly well. I have so much celery that I chopped up and I froze for soups and stews and stuffings for all of next year that I don't need to grow any next year. But it needs a lot of space, and 
it needs a long growing season. Like I had read that it needed a long growing season, but they are not kidding. I mean, you plant the transplants out in like April and you're not pulling them in until October. So you're not planting anything else in that space in your garden. That is dedicated to celery, your whole growing season. So if you've ever thought about growing celery, just know that and know that you're probably not going to eat as much celery as you think you are. Looking back at it, I planted way too much. I planted something like 10 celery plants and nobody eats that much celery. I will also say, and I don't know if this was the variety or if maybe I should have like watered them more than I watered everything else, but the taste of the celery is a very, very strong. So much so that I have to kind of be careful about how much of it I add to recipes so that it doesn't overpower it. The variety that I grew was called Tall Utah, um, Utah like the U.S. state. So yeah, I don't know if that is down to that variety or what, but wowza, it's some strong stuff. My very last thing that I learned, and I'm so excited about this because I get to tell you about a new recipe that's up on my blog, is you can never have enough cherry tomatoes. So I grow a variety of cherry tomatoes called Sun Gold. They are super sweet. They're one of the sweetest cherry tomatoes you can grow. And they don't actually turn red. They turn like a bright orange. They're like little little miniature suns on the vine. And they're, they're super cute. Um, the first time I grew them, I kept waiting for them to turn red and kept waiting and kept waiting. And finally, I ate one. I was like, oh, these are ready. Okay, I guess they just turn orange. So they're really delicious. But these are some prodigious producing plants. They produce like crazy. And I have three gallons of these sun gold cherry tomatoes in my freezer. That is from two plants, you guys. I had three plants last year, and so I was like, wow, that's way too much. I planted two this year, still have a ton of cherry tomatoes in the freezer, but that's okay because I came up with a burst cherry tomato sauce recipe that is on my blog. Basically, you, and you can do this with fresh cherry tomatoes. You can use um, frozen cherry tomatoes. You kind of just pour them in a pan, and my recipe outlines this in like way better detail. Again, it's on my blog, beandbasil.com. Pour them in a pan with some olive oil and a whole bunch of garlic, and you cook them on medium, right? And you just kind of let the cherry tomatoes cook down and cook down, and eventually they kind of start to, like, pop in the pan. And it's really kind of incredible and fun to sit there and listen to. It made me giggle. And then once they start to cook down, you add some lemon juice to kind of counteract the super sweet cherry tomatoes. If you're not growing um, cherry tomatoes that are that sweet, You might not need lemon juice at all. You might need less lemon juice. And then I add butter to make it silky and make a sauce that'll like adhere to the pasta, coat the pasta in a really delicious way. You add some fresh mozzarella and some fresh parsley to that and it is heaven, my friends. So not just a gardening tip, but a kitchen tip as well. And that is all of the big things that I learned in the garden this year. So again, I hope that 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 helps you avoid some pitfalls. And I hope it also helps you 
achieve some successes next year if you're thinking about growing or if you're dealing with any of those issues in the next growing season. You guys, thank you so very much for listening. Thank you for listening since this started. It's about six months old now. If it were a baby, it would be, I don't know, sitting up by itself, Um, uh, crawling maybe. I don't have kids, so I can't tell you what the major developmental stages are for a six-month-old, but I do know for a six-month-old podcast, it's really exciting, and I'm really thankful for each and every one of you And I hope that you have a wonderful, amazing holiday season, and I will see you in the new year. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.